0: Everybody. Welcome. We are so glad that you're here. Welcome to Mountain Park. My name is Alan and, um, uh, as has already been said, if you're a guest with us, we're so thrilled that you're worshiping with us here today as we uh, continue this identity journey and try to figure out who we are and uh, hear from our, our maker in terms of who we are. I am as much of a fan of superhero movies as the next guy, next person. Um, uh, but one of the things that doesn't make much sense to me in terms of superheroes and all of their stories and their backstories and how this all works out is the effectiveness of their secret identity. It it just doesn't make any sense to me. I know that in a lot of these stories, they get found out, and that's part of the movie. It's part of the story, and a few people find out, etc. But why is it so few who figure this out? I mean, Bruce Wayne, for example, this is one popular dude, and a lot of people know him. He's got his paper all over the, you know, his face on the paper and all that, and nobody recognizes the chin and the mouth and the height and the shape and the wealth of Batman. Nobody makes that connection. Nobody realizes that this throaty, deep, you know, weird sound of Batman is fake, and so there's some other voice on it. Nobody figures this out. Come on, really? Uh, the one that really confuses me is Superman. So Superman flies around, saves the world, da-da-da-da, and, and, and he's just, he's Superman. <laughs> he's Superman. And all he has to do to disguise himself is put on his glasses, and then people say, where's Superman? Well, here's this guy who looks exactly like Superman, but it can't be Superman because he has glasses. So where's Superman? Where's Superman? So so my my thought on this is, what what happens when Clark Kent has to clean his glasses? What what kind of a moment is that in the office? I, I guess I shouldn't be all that surprised by our inability to detect secret identities in, in superheroes, however, because we do that with ourselves a fair amount. And what I'm talking about today is, is the masks that we put on are these secret identities, these fake identities that we walk around with and that we are pretty good at deceiving others and deceiving ourselves in, ter- in terms of who we are. And what we want to do today is is just embrace the realization that we need to get rid of that in order to understand what our true self is, what our real self is. Last week when when I launched into this series, I asked the question, uh, you know, launched this idea, do you really know who you are? Because if we don't know who we are, if we don't know what our character is, if we don't know what role we are playing in the grand epic story that's going on around us, we won't know how to respond to the circumstances of life. We won't know how to do that. I think there is an identity crisis in our culture in terms of us truly knowing who we are and being confident in who we are as a result. We wear masks. We have fake identities that I think we need to push into. At the end of the message last week, I asked if you would would join us for each week of this series. I don't normally do that. In fact, I, I don't remember a time when I've ever done that because uh, the series typically aren't really all that good. Um, <laughs> just, being, just being honest. But, but here, the, this, this five-week journey is really not five standalone messages. It really is a five-week journey of putting these pieces together. And today is not a standalone message. This is not the whole story. We're going to talk more about true identity in, in Christ and how that all looks in the weeks to come. But today, we are just targeting this idea of of our fake identity, what it is, what we've embraced at times, and how we could perhaps uh, wash that away, get that away from us. So to that end, would you bow your heads and pray with me? Father, I'm thankful once again to be here in this room, to acknowledge through worship who you are, God, that we, we sit Here in this room, we wanna start off with with a place of confidence and saying, you are a God who loves, who forgives, who meets us in our times of need. God, that you are loving, that you are powerful, that you are beautiful. And from that place, we want to courageously and uh, wonderfully embrace who we are, God. So would you help us to just identify and shed away any fake identity that is not from you? Here in these next few moments, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. This morning, I wanna talk about a story that is found in the New Testament. It's a story that we don't that you probably are familiar with. Many of you are familiar with the characters, familiar with the story, but it's a story we don't normally talk about in church, and you'll see why. Uh, I don't know that I've, ever, that I've ever talked about this story. It's found in the book of Acts, chapter 5. And just to kind of remind you of where we are in the story here, uh, overall, in the grand uh, uh, epic story in the New Testament, Jesus has ascended into heaven... And the Holy Spirit has descended upon a group of people that are followers of Christ, a group of people trying to figure out what it means to be the church. And so it's this new community kind of figuring out what this all looks like, and Peter is is in charge. And at the very beginning of Acts chapter 5, we find out that a man named Ananias conspires with his wife, Sapphira, they sold some property, and what they're doing, instead of giving all of the amount of the property to the church, to the, to the gathering of believers, they are going to keep some for themselves and give some to the church. That seems like a reasonable response, right? They don't say how much it's broken up to. Let's just assume it's half and half. Incredibly generous. Sell property and give half to the work of the kingdom. That's tremendously, beautifully generous. But they did so with deception. Because the intent was to come in and make it seem like this was all that they got for the property. So they gather before Peter, and supernaturally, Peter somehow knows that this is not true, that all of this that was set before uh, uh, the feet of the apostles is not the actual amount. So Peter says, How could you have done this? How, how, could, you, how could you come in and, and be so, and, and want to deceive us and lie to us here in the presence here, lie to us and lie to God? And then the response is a very shocking one, that Ananias falls over dead, dead for this. And then the story goes on. This is a dramatic story. And and then sometime later, Sapphira, who knows what the plan is because she already talked to her husband, uh, comes in and Peter says, is this all that came in for the property? And she didn't pick up on his, you know, is this all? She didn't pick up on that. And so she, she knows the story, and she says, yes, that's what we got for the property. And you know what happens to her? She, she, falls, she falls down dead. Actually, what happens is, is this even more dramatic. Peter says, see the two guys standing behind you? They just carried out your dead husband, and they're about to carry you out. And then Luke is the writer of this story, and he wraps this up in verse 11, and he says this. He says, great fear seized the whole church and all who heard about these events. Well, duh, of course they would have. I mean, this is a a radical story. If you have not been to church for a long time or if you've never been to church, right now you're thinking, what kind of church is this? And what kind of Bible are they reading? Let me just assure you, just just help you relax, that this is not our model for generosity here at Mountain Park. We, we value generosity. We understand that that's how life change happens here in the city and around the world and, and it's good for our hearts, absolutely. But we don't talk about this story because this is a story about generosity and it's not a very motivating or inspiring one. It's a rather frightening one that we shouldn't tell our children at, at bedtime. And, and I don't know why this story is so extreme. It is an extreme story. I, I, I don't know... Uh, why this is how God chose to respond in this, in this situation. It seems for me to be an odd fit with the rest of the book of Acts, with the rest of the New Testament story. It just seems to be a, a head tilt. I don't know why it's such an extreme story. But I do know why Ananias and Sapphira were tempted to lie. I can relate to that experience, that moment where, you know what, if I misrepresent something here, I can benefit better from it. And I think others here in this room can, can identify with that idea of, if I have a false version of this story or myself or this situation, I might be able to get more out of it. That there's a temptation to do that. In fact, we've, if we back up to the chapter before, the one where we find our, our extreme story, right at the end of chapter 4, Acts chapter 4. Right near the end, halfway through verse, verse 34, Luke writes, From time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales, all of it, and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone who had need that's just a that's radical radical generosity could you imagine the response of the community when people would have done something like that the response of the community when when people in, uh, had sold something and then brought all of it and gathered it in front and we would have said wow this is awesome you know what we can do with this you know how we can love our community with this this would have been celebrated they would, have, they would have been uh, put up on shoulders and yeah, all right, woo! It would have been a celebrated moment. You're awesome. This is a great experience. They would have uh, gotten attention. They would have gotten respect. They would have gotten synagogue cred. Yo, was, they would have gotten synagogue cred with an act like that, serious synagogue cred. And then the story continues, verse 36. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. Similar story, but now we have a name mentioned. This guy is mentioned by name for all eternity, for us 2,000 years later to talk about and celebrate and remember what he had done. And also, later on in the Acts story, this is the guy who becomes a sidekick of Paul. He goes with Paul on his first missionary journey I mean, this guy, I don't know how much this moment contributed to his connection and respect in the group, but there's something beautiful that happens here. Why did Ananias and Sapphira, why were they motivated to have a false identity, to have a fake identity, to pretend something was different than what it was? Because they could perhaps get respect and attention and synagogue cred. they were motivated because they wanted people to think highly of them, which is something most of us here in this room can relate to, the motivation. We may not understand the extremeness of the story, but we can understand the motivation. So as you think about your identity, as you think, "Hey, who I am, who am I? I wanna throw out a question to you, and it has to do with how others view you. And the question is this. I want people, I want you to finish this sentence. I want people to think that I am blank. I want people to think that I am blank. In what way would you finish that sentence? Would you say uh, you want people to think you are pretty, to think that you are young, to think that you are physically fit? That has to do with kind of physical attributes. What about spiritually? Do you want people to think that you are spiritually mature? That you are generous? That you are, um, that you are kind, loving, wise in your counsel? What about professionally? Do you want people to think that you are a hard worker? That you are the first one there and you're the last one to leave? That you are creative and you have something to bring that others don't bring? Do you want people to think that you are successful, that you are wealthy, that you are um, uh, just overall successful in whatever business or whatever job you're doing? What, how would you finish this phrase? In fact, if, if you received one of these cards on the way in, uh, it has a little... Uh, tab there on the bottom, we'd love to hear from you, you can rip off this tab on the bottom. But the, the rest of the card is available for you any week, you can just grab it and some people make notes on these cards. If you picked up one of the cards, w- would you just take a minute and write a list in the note there, in the notes section there? How would you finish this phrase? And if you don't have one of these cards, if you would just take out your phone to a notes page or an email to yourself or however that would work, just take a minute and, and just have something available for you to write down three to six ways of finishing this sentence. I want people to think that I am blank. Just take a minute and do that if you would. Fantastic. Thanks for doing that. Um, I want to ask a follow-up question that is much more difficult, I think, because those are just words, perhaps phrases. But the follow-up is why. And before you start, before you start answering it, what, what I mean by that is, is why is this important to you? So if you wrote down, for example, the word smart, you want people to think that you're smart, why? What, what, what is your motivation for that? What, what leads you to put that on your list? Why is that important to you? This is not a, a universal uh, uh, thing in terms of every human being wants that. This is you. This is your unique identity. And, and as far as your unique identity, why is that important to you? I'm going to give you another minute, but you won't have time to answer why to all three or six of the things that you wrote down on there. And I encourage you, if you're interested later on today, to just kind of go back to that and see if you can answer why to some of the other ones. But I invite you to consider one of the three to six things that you wrote down. Um, I want people to think I am blank. Which one jumps out to you? Which one is, is kind of the bold one on the list, or maybe the first one you wrote down, or the one that is the strongest. Take a minute and just write down why is that so important to you? Just take a minute on that card if you would. Again, I encourage you, if you don't have time now or if you don't have a card or whatever, I encourage you to perhaps answer that question at another time, but if you wrote something down or if you thought about it and had something bounce around in your head, if we're honest, there are positive and negative reasons why we want people to think of us in those ways. There are positive and negative motivations for this, things that drive us to say, this is important. I want people to think that I am this. There can be positive reasons for that and negative reasons for that. Let me, let me give you an example. Could somebody just just say something that someone may have written on their card, okay? It doesn't have to be something you wrote on your card, but something that somebody in the room may have written on their card. I want people to think I am what? Responsible. responsible. I heard responsible. Because let, let me just pause on that one first of all. Responsible. Well, this has a positive end on this to say, I want people to be able to trust me. I wanna be responsible so so that if I say I'm gonna show up for something, it's a value of mine that they can trust me and that fuels our relationship um, uh, going forward. There's a positive driven, I want people to think that I'm responsible. There can be a negative side on that because you might see yourself as being irresponsible and so you are are frustrated with, with, you've got all these things you're good at but that you struggle with the fact that you, you miss or you slip up on things, and oh, how come, why do I always slip up on that? And so there's this, there's this beating down on you, so you say, I want to be more responsible. I've gotta fix this. I'm so broken, I've gotta fix this, and I don't think people are gonna respect me or have anything to do with me unless I fix a responsible piece. There can be a positive motivation for it or a negative one. What's another one? What's, what's something else that somebody might have written on their card? Kind. Kind. They hear kind? Well, kind is another, is another great one. A positive motivation for this would be that you want to represent Christ well. We are called to be ambassadors of Christ. And so we want to represent Jesus. Jesus was kind and thoughtful and, in so many ways. And so I want to look like that. I want to be that person. But there can be a negative uh, side of this because you could be so wrapped up in you being so kind and so, so nice and so perfect that you never do anything wrong. And it is never easy. It is ne- it, you know, it's, it, it's impossible at times for you to reveal your imperfection. There can be a negative motivation to say, I have to be nice. I have to be perfect. I can't show any weakness. I can't show my sin, my brokenness, my darkness. So there can be a positive driver for it or a negative driver for it. Maybe you wrote on there, I want people to think that I'm physically fit. I think this is an uh, uh, issue here in our community. Well, there can be a positive driver for that, that I, I want to take care of myself. I want to live for a while. I, love, I want to be respected by others. I want to model hard work. There can be a negative side of that that says, uh, that says this is my, where my self-worth comes in. And unless I look like this or unless I'm a winner in this area of my life, people aren't gonna wanna be with me. People aren't gonna respect me. They're not gonna trust me with things. They're not gonna look up to me the way I want them to. There can always be a positive and a negative side as far as why we want people to look at us a certain way. And this whole, the answer to this, you may have wanted to kind of shield it a little bit because it's revealing. I want people to think I'm blank. That's kind of a personal journey. That's a revealing journey. So for me, just to be revealing and a little bit awkward here. Uh, As I've thought about this question, one of my answers to this is, I want people to think I'm funny. And let me just tell you, I I could go into the psychobabble of it and say, well, when I was a kid and my brother's relationship with mom, and I could go into all that stuff, and I'm sure there's pieces in there, but there's a positive and a negative version of that. The positive version of that is, I love to have fun with people. And, and I love laughing with people. It's a significant part of my marriage relationship and my relationship with my kids and just just being fun together and laughing at one another, et cetera. It's a positive part of I want people to know me uh, that way. But then on a the negative side, there are times, rarely, occasionally, I mean, blue moon kind of thing, <laughs> when I'm supposed to be serious and I can't quite stay there, I can't quite be there, and so I, I kind of make a joke or whatever and kind of laugh it off. And, and that's not always a helpful thing. It could be that I take attention in a situation where I'm not supposed to take attention. I think that the positive reasons that lead us to an answer to this question, I want people to think I'm blank. The positive things, I think they're connected to our, our true identity, our unique identity, which again, we're gonna talk about in a couple of weeks. But the negative pieces of it, the negative drivers for, for why we want people to think us a certain way, I think they are so often uh, connected to things like pride, and fear, in comparison with one another, and they're part of our false identity. They're part of our fake identity. And that is so often a problem in terms of us truly knowing who we are. And there's something that all of this negative stuff has in common. I I wanna get to that in just a minute. Uh, A couple weeks ago, My family, uh, over the fall break, we went to a dude ranch. Yeah, dude ranch. We've never done that before. And so uh, I remember seeing City Sticklers a number of of years ago. I thought, i got to do that someday. So we did as a family, we went to a, a dude ranch. And I don't know if you know this, but decades ago, the term dude was a derogatory phrase referring to city folks who wanted to pretend to be cowboys and cowgirls. And it was a very derogatory thing. It was very kind of looked down upon. Now, the derogatoriness of the word has faded away, perhaps because the big Lebowski, or for some reason, I'm not sure why we look at that word differently. But but the pretending nature of dude ranches has remained very strong. That the whole dude ranch concept is very much, as you would imagine, it's just the whole idea of folks who are not cowboys to come in and pretend to be cowboys one of the things that we did on the dude ranch was something i it was new to me i learned about this thing called pinning and what it is 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 four dudes are on their horses barely hanging on and, and pretending like they're in control of the horses but there's no way that we're in control the horses do what the horses want want to do essentially you know but they're trained and they're good and etc but what you do in pinning is they say go and then one of the horses will go and cut into, just kind of push the horse into a herd of calves, so they're, they're young bulls, and so they have their horns, but they're, you know, shorter horns, and they're, they're calves, and so you're going to cut into them, and the idea is to, is to separate three of the calves and get them to run around into a pen, Now, it sounds impressive, just if if I just stopped right there, you might think, wow, good job, Alan. Um, But the reality is that we don't do very much and the calves just know what they're doing and just And it's the same three calves that go in, they go back out, they go back in, and all the smart calves just stay along the fence and go, I don't know, I'm going to stay away from that whole thing. They just rotate it, the same thing around and around the ground. But how we're instructed is very clear by the staff, they say, the way to get the calves to move, and you're timed, so you wanna go quickly. The way you get the calves to move is you yell at them. And so as you're going, as you're riding, and trying to hang on, because the horses are going fast, as you're doing this, you're supposed to go, yah, 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 yaw, yah. Yeah. and the more you do this, and all four of you dudes are doing this, and, and we're doing it, and we're yelling, and we're having a good time. It wasn't until the end of the experience that I realized, I think they just told us that for their own entertainment. <laughs> Because I looked over, I'm pretty sure some of the staff were just kind of going, yeah, you got to just yell loud. (laughs) So we're just yawing ourselves up, and it's just a hoot. Now, the funniest thing about it for me is that among our group, there were us four, then there was another group of four. The other group of four were some older men from London, England. (laughs) And they traveled all the way to Tucson. The dude ranch was in Tucson. They traveled all the way to Tucson, to experience an authentic American dude ranch kind of deal. And so, they, they, were, they were cracking me up. The, the, we were cracking the staff up, but the, 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 uh, the English were cracking me up because they'd go, y'all, y'all. <laughs> Having a good time, Philip? And then, oh, jolly good. This is brilliant, y'all, y'all. And so, they would do all, it was just, it was like the best moment of my life. And so, watching this all happen, and you can tell, you can look on the cows and you're going, oh my goodness. The, the, the calves are thinking these guys are worse than the Canadians. I don't know what to do as they're curving around. But, but, but anyway, the whole thing is super fun and great memory and all that. But it's, it's all fake. I mean, we're not fooling anyone in terms of actually being ranchers and moving calves, et cetera. We're not fooling the, we're not fooling the, the staff. We're not fooling any of the calves. They know who, they're not fooling the horses at all. The whole thing is just a fake. It's just a facade. It's just fun. We're dudes. In every sense, that we are dudes. We're not cowboys. We're pretending to be cowboys. Ananias and Sapphira, they want to be known as generous and sacrificial. It's evidenced by the chapter before and what happens in that community and that culture and what was going on there. It was a beautiful thing to be generous and sacrificial. But they decided to partially be generous and sacrificial. They, it wasn't about how much they gave or whatever. It was the deception in their hearts. They were dudes. They, they were pretending to be what others had gotten credit for or whatever. And so they put on a false identity That uh, if we look at the story here, we uh, jump to verse 3 of chapter 5. And here's what Peter says when he first uh, encounters Ananias. He says, How is it that Satan has filled your heart so that you have lied to the Holy Spirit? When you look at any of the negative motivations, for why we want to be known a certain way. Any of the the, the things that are rooted in something negative or have a neg- negative piece attached to it or they're connected to fear or pride or comparison, they have something in common. All of this fake identity stuff, all of these negative spins on stuff, all of this negative motivation, what they have in common is they are connected to deception. They're connected in some way to a lie. In the same way that the... Dude Ranch is just a, a fun lie but for Ananias and, Ananias and Sapphira. There was deception that comes in there. That's what Peter was challenging. How could you lie to the Holy Spirit? That our fake identity, it either flows from or it flows into a lie. That, that, that's the problem. That's the issue with the fake identity. That's why we need to get rid of it because it either flows from something that's not true or it flows into something that is not true. Maybe your fake identity flows from some things that are not true. Maybe there's some things that you heard that you were told when you were young, told by your parents. They put incredible expectations on you or they said things to you and called you things that, that a parent should never call a child. Or maybe you heard things from your siblings or from people at school and there was a name or a phrase or something, a lie that you embraced, that you be- believed, and that has shaped your fake identity for years. And maybe, you know, often part of this is we overcompensate. We're told at some point that we're weak. So as we get older, we, we either emotionally or physically, we get so strong because every day of our life is trying to compensate for this lie that we've embraced. Or, or we're told that we're stupid and so there's this journey of trying to prove to everyone around me, see how smart I am? See how much smarter I am than you? It's this, it's this lie that leads to a fake identity that can be so damaging in our relationships. Or as in the case of Ananias and Sapphira, it flows into a, a lie. It's a fake identity of saying, I want to be known as generous. So it flows into, I'm going to misrepresent this whole selling of the land story. And it can be so incredibly Damaging. It flows into, I'm going to mislead people because I'm so committed to this fake identity that I want to keep alive, this mask that I'm not willing to take off. I don't want people to see the real me underneath here. Peter also identifies where this comes from. He says, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit? This is the work of Satan. This is the mode that Satan operates in. That Jesus is the way, the truth and the life and it's the the truth will set us free and Satan is known as the great deceiver. That's the way Satan has always functioned from the very beginning in the garden. It was saying to Adam and Eve, surely you won't die if you eat this fruit. And all the whole story is just littered with lies. And that's the way the enemy continues to operate is just to pour into us and just say, you, you don't have what it takes. You are not good enough. You think you're gonna graduate and be successful in that job? Or you look at your list of things that you wrote on that card. And maybe there are things on there and, and, and it's the enemy who says, you think you can be known for that stuff? You think you can be that person with your background and what I know about you? Or, or the enemy says, you know, look at, look at those things. You have to be that third one on that list. You have to be that, no matter what it takes. Otherwise, no one is gonna care about you. No one's gonna love you. No one's gonna listen to you. No one's gonna respect you. It either flows from or flows into lies. It's lies upon lies upon lies. As a result, we have this, this we create this, this fake identity. Paul says later on in the New Testament, he says that we, we, we want to be um, known for something more than we are. We deceive ourselves. It's just lies upon lies. It's the work of the enemy. It's the opposite of truth. It's the opposite of, of freedom. So this fake identity that is fueled by negative reasons that we want to be known for something, it is just littered with lies This fake identity, in order to experience who we are, in order to to go into this journey that we're gonna be talking about in the next few weeks and and experience our true identity, we have to get rid of it. We have to get rid of this fake identity piece. Identify what it is and get rid of it. Last week, I talked about Moses. And Hebrews' version of the, the, the book of Hebrews, when they talk about the faith of Moses, he says that Moses refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. If you remember that story from last week, and either he is is an Egyptian royalty or he is a a Hebrew slave. And he refused to be known as as an Egyptian royalty. The word refuse means deny, reject, cut it out. And that's what we need to do with our fake identity. That's what we need to do with this, the the, the pathway to embracing freedom of knowing who we are, no more, no less, who we are in, in Christ that pathway requires us to cut off, to get rid of, to deny, to refuse these lies, this fake identity. So here as we wrap up here this morning, and again, this is not the whole story. This is just part of the story. This part right here is about getting freedom from this fake identity piece. The band is going to come up. And they're gonna uh, lead us in one final song. And I, I encourage you to just, just stay in the room. I know there's lots of parking and all that. Just allow yourself to have the full experience here in this room. Because what, what I'm hoping that you'll do is just, we put a cross up here on front. And I want you to symbolically where you are. Just take this take this list uh, that you've created, wherever it is in your head or on a card or in your phone or whatever. And just allow this song, allow the time during this song to to have the power of Jesus wash away the lies that are behind the things that are on this list. To have the power of Jesus wash away the negative reasons that we want to be known for something. There are positive stuff. We're gonna celebrate that and move into that later. But may the power of Jesus wash away the negative stuff on there. Why, am I, why is there pride and fear that are pouring into this? To have Jesus wash away the lies that have led to the negative motivations. During this song, would you just kind of think about these these words, think about any negative motivations that have been a part of your journey and may we get freedom today from this stuff, freedom from this fake identity. Would you stand with me? I wanna pray with you and then we'll sing one final song together. Would you bow our heads and pray with me? Father God, once again, I thank you for who you are. We start off from that place. You are the one who brings truth into our lives. You are the one who who so desperately wants to bring us freedom from the lies that you sent your son to die for us so that we can experience that freedom. God, may we here in this moment be reminded or perhaps experience for the first time how powerful your love is to free us from these lies, from this negative motivations, God, in whatever way you want to take this fake identity, this mask that we've been wearing for so long, God, in whatever way you want to just take it off so that you can, so that your light can shine on who we truly are instead of having to get through this mask anymore, God. We want to come and be authentic and real with you here in these moments, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.